Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Daniel Foch, and I am joined here by the lovely, no longer shawl-wearing, we're recording a double header here, Nick took off his shawl. I think actually that'll appear in a later episode because the, the order's all out of whack, but you'll hear something about this this cape he was wearing. Anyway, what are you doing, Nick? What's going on? <laughs> well, I'm I'm a bit chillier, and I don't know if my sound's been affected. No, the acoustic yes, quality's good. Yeah, you're good. You sound okay, lovely. Well, I was wearing a blanket earlier to, you know, pad the sound a little bit, but also to to keep warm. And, and Dan just made fun of me too many times, so I had to take it off out of sheer embarrassment. Fair enough. Um, I'm going to come out of the gates hot this time. Um, I'm going to say wholeheartedly, I would really appreciate it if you would leave us a review and uh, whatever all the YouTubers are saying, like smash that like button, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to reward somebody who reviewed us right now. They The review title says 10 out of 10. It's a five-star review. So first of all, they use two return metrics. They give us a 10 out of 10 and a five. <laughs> they understand yes. that we like to look at things from two different perspectives. So they gave us the cap rate and the cash on cash on this. It says, bigger Love pockets, it. but Canadian. Glad I found this podcast and hoping to apply the knowledge to the East Coast. And that comes from, I got to find the user's name now, but uh, but they are from the East Coast, and we we really appreciate your uh, your your review. Nick, get started, and I'll, yeah. I'll find. It was uh, it was actually ha 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 twenty twelve. So I, I don't oh, that they that's... might not have an in- matching Instagram handle on that one, but that's their name. Definitely a real name, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's let's dive into the overview of what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we are going to be reviewing a survey from the trade organization, my trade organization, MPC, which is Mortgage Professionals of Canada. Now, MPC basically represents mortgage professionals, like agents and brokers such as myself. This is um, this is one of my favorite reports that comes out, by the way. Like I, I, every yeah. year, I love seeing their charts. I always wish that I'm the one who shares them first. But I and this year, I kind of was on tw- on Twitter a little you bit. Did. I, was, I was up there as quick. I actually sent it to you later that day, and you're like, "Check my Twitter," and I was like, "You son of a beat me to it fastest fastest post in the West." This I think guy. we have some housekeeping um, though. Um, I almost said house cleaning, but I don't do any of that. I'm no, just kidding. I'm clean. <laughs> We're good. Um, yeah, let's get into a little haves and wants, a new, a new segment that we've been trying to integrate into the show here. What we do is we'll take any haves or wants from our listeners, uh, run them through landlord.io, which we actually have a seminar where Dan and I and the founders of landlord.io will be coaching people through a webinar on, on how to use the program. That's on March 16th, but let's look at the haves. We need a Toronto we have. duplex we have a Airbnb. Duplex. Sorry, we have. We have a Toronto duplex Airbnb at a six cap rate, willing to VTB 80%, possibly higher. Uh, oh, actually, you know what, Dan? That reminds me. I got to record those new Airbnb Dude, ads I meant to men- mention, I don't even know if we should be talking about this like actually on the podcast, but your ads are so much better than my ads. I really need to step up my ad game. <laughs> I just, I got that buttery voice going when it's Airbnb, I guess, you know. Um, wants uh, triplexes in Cornwall or Subri, and that is both for some of our listeners and ourselves. And then we're also looking at larger multifamily stuff. So six plexes plus. If you have any of those, 
across the country, send them over and we will try to connect you with a buyer or seller. Also, just where we're on the topic of housekeeping, wanted to mention the meetups. We now have well over 400 members across the country in Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto, the GTA, Halifax, and St. John's. We are now doing quarterly panel discussions where we will pick a topic and people across the country will discuss it. We're also going to be hosting monthly meetups. Uh, I will put those in the show notes. Another big announcement is that we are coming to Vancouver. I'm going home, baby. We are going to be out the first week of April to interview Chip Wilson, the founder of Lululemon. Uh, so if you're out there and you want to see us, we will be out there for a couple days, the 4th, the 5th, the 6th, and flying out the 7th of April. You should probably contextualize as well. Like he is the founder of Lululemon, but and that has nothing to do with real estate, but he also owns, he what? owns a lot of Are real estate. Are you sure? Oh yeah, that's it. Sorry. I thought he we owns like in branching off into fashion like, here. Yeah. And it's like the tightest product in the world, similar to the pants actually, but it's like, it's a Vancouver industrial, <laughs> oh, that's right? Good. A very, very tight market. <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah, so speaking of logistics, that is something we are trying to finalize and we will keep everyone posted as to where that event is going to be happening. We can't wait to meet all of you out in Vancouver. Dan, start us off with this episode. Yeah, yeah, let's hop back to this. So the MPC report is called State of the Housing Market 2022 Year-End Consumer Survey and Outlook. We've linked it in the show notes, although I think we were both just trying to click on the link and it wasn't working properly. But uh, there is some great info in this report. I also like that on the cover page, it says that it's prepared by Oxford Economics. I am a big fan of their work, as a lot of people know. And I talked to Tony Stilo about the market a lot. He's one of my favorite economists. I, I really trust them to be unbiased and present things. They're maybe a little bit more bearish, but they tend to be pretty damn right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. They put out great reports. And, you know, this survey covers topics that could create a lot of value for real estate investors looking to understand the direction of the market based off consumer sentiment. Now, we've talked a lot about consumer sentiment, consumer confidence, and how they can dictate market trends or at least add to market trends. The report covers how people's personal finances are doing how many people will be renewing their mortgages at higher rates, housing affordability, yes, (laughs) housing affordability, long-term demand, and of course, they visit the fixed versus variable discussion. So let's quickly go over the highlights from page two of the report and decide whether or not these are headwinds or tailwinds for the real estate market. Wait, wait, wait. Should I define this one? Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Okay, so a headwind is a wind blowing from directly in front, opposing forward motion. This is something that slows you down. It comes, the terminology comes from pilots flying a plane into a headwind. So a tailwind then, I guess, on the other hand, is a wind blowing in the direction of travel of a vehicle or aircraft, a wind blowing from behind. So this is something that pushes your growth or accelerates it. You got it, Dan. It's similar to push and pull factors that we've mentioned in some of our immigration and migration episodes. So first on the list, let's talk about household budget. People that were increasingly anxious about their finances over the following few months due to inflation surged from 40% to almost 60% in six months. Ouch, that's a scary stat. I'm going to call that a headwind. That's head, Um, for sure. Let's jump over to plans to buy. Uh, The number of non-owners thinking they will never buy a primary residence climbed to 33% compared to 25% 
just six months before and 18% at the end of 2021. Fewer non-homeowners plan to purchase a home within the next five years at only 18%, down six percentage points from the year before. Headwind, I think. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean that that's 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 you know that's a telling stat. It, it it makes me a little bit sad to see that. I think that's a that you know that really dictates the sentiment that we're seeing right now. But it could be. It's a question of like, is it capitulation or is it realism? Because the thirty three percent is very in line with sixty seven percent of homeowners or 67% home ownership rate. So mm-hmm. maybe there's just a, a greater portion of people realizing that they might never actually own homes. And I mean, yeah, that sucks, but there's really nothing fundamentally wrong with renting. It, like actually we've been talking about doing an episode with our pod fathers about this, like really, really analyzing. And I know Bridget Casey talks about this stuff a lot on, on TikTok and whatever, but if you have to be a bad investor actually to make, like to not make it make sense to, and most people are bad investors. And so that's why home ownership works well for them as like a savings vehicle or, you know, levered uh, exposure to, to a real estate asset. But anyway, I digress. For sure. No, but I mean, it's important to discuss this kind of stuff because, you know, we also talk a lot about the data being skewed by certain markets. Now, are, you know, those certain markets make up the majority of people and the majority of transactions. But I wonder how market specific this is. I also wonder how time and place this is. I mean, if you poll people in the early stages of a recession, what's that sentiment going to be like versus the late stages of a recession? Or, you know, eventually when we start off on that bull run again, whenever that is. This guy over here, just full running of the bulls. <laughs> Let's talk about long-term demand. Now, just under 80% of people see real estate as a good long-term investment, virtually unchanged from previous surveys, backing up the outlook for strong housing demand. And they call that a tailwind for sure. Yeah. I, I'm actually, you know, like I think polling in the 90s would have, after a big, the big sell-off, like what we just saw would have been, like I would, I actually would have thought people would be like, nah, screw this. I'm not interested in real estate anymore. So it's, it's good to see that people are still interested. And thank you to all of you listening, being part of that 80% who still think real estate <laughs> is a good long-term investment. But see, there's the key um, there is long-term investment, right? This, yeah. Yeah. For we're sure. not, we're not, we're out of the get rich quick schemes of the last two years and the fix last 40 years buddy interest rates have been going down since 40, the 90s. 40 years for sure or whatever, ex- exacerbated years. in the last two to to extreme amounts and and yes the hangover is real at this point yeah um affordability next one nearly half of canadians 47 percent, say a rate increase of up to 20 percent would cause them to experience mortgage payment difficulties well, that sucks because I think it's already gone up more than that. Um, among recent first-time buyers, fourteen percent already report having difficulty making their payments. Ouch! Yeah, those scary stats, man. Yeah. These are you know affordability. I say ha affordability. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Sorry, that was a great joke. That was the first time you actually literally made me laugh on the podcast. Wow, that hurts. <laughs> I know. I feel bad. Like I try. I really try to like, but I, it's hard to like if we've rehearsed it or or written it. Or you seen the written joke? Genuine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. It can be funny after all. Are you going to call that a headwind, Dan? The affordability metrics yeah, there. Definitely. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to renewals. This is again a kind of a scary one right here. Nearly half, literally just under half at 49% of mortgage holders expect to renew their mortgages within the next three years. In the next year alone, one-fifth, 16% of mortgage holders expect to renew their mortgage. Headwind or tailwind? 
I'm I'm going to say like you got to unpack this one a little bit, but like anybody who got a mortgage in the last five years has got it at a rate lower than what they'll be renewing at. Mm-hmm. I think this year, right? I think unless it was like a 2016, maybe when was the last time we saw rates this high? 20 2015, 16, yeah, 17, in and around there. Yeah, those rates are already back, come yeah. and gone. 17, 18. Yeah. I, you know, I think 18s. There were some fours, fives. Anyway, I think I saw a stat that like the average mortgage rate of a mortgage right now is like in the threes. It's like three, three point low threes, 3.14%. So let's assume that like, just take the average and say everybody has to renew and you have 10% of people renewing each year or sorry, uh, one fifth. So 20% of people renewing each year because five year terms on average, let's say uh, you have every, every year you have one fifth of the Canadian po- population seeing a 60% increase in their interest rate. That's, that's a headwind. There's no, you know, and like that's a headwind for the broad economy, not just real estate. And and not only that, but, you know, some of the more popular products that we've seen uh, a lot of Canadians go into, whether they're renewing, refinancing or or getting a new mortgage, is we've seen shorter terms, right? People trying yeah. to ride out that next two to three years. So the two to three year mortgages are are a hot product right now. But if you've had a five- are onto that though, like they they're are, pricing yeah. them, like, the, you know, like when I was originally, I think like I had closed on something that late last year and it, the three year made sense. So I took the three, but now like the most recent deal that I'm working on, it's- um the, f- the five is way cheaper than the three, like way cheap. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, a lot of those people that took that five year in the last one, two, three years, they'll be riding that same train as the people that are, you know, taking those two to three years now. And a lot of those people will all be coming out for renewal within the next two to three years. So interesting times ahead. Yeah, for sure. And I think it, you know, it kind of goes into the next piece that they mentioned in this report, fixed versus variable. Uh as of the second half of 2022, 69% of all mortgages had a fixed rate versus 66% in 2021, while 25% had a variable rate. So 20 versus 26% in 2021, three in 10 variable rate holders are actively planning or considering a fixed rate. Very interesting stat there. And another third considered, but decided against. So I think this one's neutral right now. You know, we just discussed renewals. I don't think that variability of rates is is going to be a huge issue moving forward. You might see another 25, 50 bips and then it's hold for a long period of time. Most of the financial stress that's going to happen as a result of variability of rates has already taken place. It's really just time under tension now. It's how long are we suffering for? I think renewals are the next problem, which they cover on the next page in this report. Mm -hmm. Good points, Dan. Some of the other cool data points they cover in the highlights that don't really have any impact in the market. Um, you know, 45% of first time home buyers arrange their current mortgage with a broker. So working with a broker now mortgage brokers share among those 34 and younger was up to 40%. Yeah, I found that interesting. And it's also interesting that you know, first time buyers are less likely to use a broker, I guess, because they don't have the experience. But, and they mentioned, you know, what, what was the reason that people were using brokers? Competitive rates continue to be the top cited reason for working with a broker, as well as the ability to obtain multiple quotes. Broker customers receive uh, as many as 50% more quotes than bank customers. So it gives people choice to meet their needs. And as investors, I mean, like for investors, the broker channel really makes sense, right? You need to shop around to get the good rates because it's a business decision at that point and the bank doesn't really care that much. They don't care about making your business viable. They care about making their business viable. <laughs> yeah. So that's why people are using a broker. Now let's use 
let's look at why people are not using a broker. Dan, I can't believe you made me read this one. This is, this feels like a cruel punishment. Um, thinking that they need to pay for broker services out of pocket is the second most cited reason not to work with a broker. But many also acknowledged a limited understanding of how brokers are paid in reality. Brokers typically earn a commission that is paid by the mortgage lender, not the customer. So let me be very clear. If you work with me or anyone in my profession, you do not owe us anything from the first phone call to the 10th phone call or however long it takes, however many months, however many phone calls, however much due diligence or many quotes we pull for you, whatever that work entails, you don't pay for it. Mortgage brokers and agents only get paid when the deal gets funded by that lender. So you with don't have to pay me lender, with though. a traditional lender. You will, yes, see, of course. you will see broker fees on the private side. Of sure. course, but let's just let's just talk and lenders. Like, but well, it's worth noting. Like B side, you'll see lenders charge lender fees. Blah blah blah. Right? They get baked into the price. Like, I mean, there's are you know there are. I get like you know, but it's just this is a financial education problem, right? It's exactly. Like, exactly. People people don't know that they like they they think that there's risk with uh, exploring their options, which is a shame. So anyway, yeah. I appreciate you making it clear. Nick. Yeah, they just they um, I mean, I think a lot of people that that's a question that that I have to explain and that's one of the things yeah. I start off on my discovery calls is do you understand what I do and how I get paid? Just say, write me a check for $1,000 and I will make you rich. And I will t- <laughs> Exactly. Well, that's my other business that we're not talking about. <laughs> <laughs> just watch me do these four dances on TikTok and then uh give me all of your money and uh never hear from me again. Simple as that. That's how it works, right? Get rich quick, baby. Something like that. Um Okay, so they have this page, mortgage renewals, fixed versus variable. The size and volume of mortgages coming up for renewal is remains a key risk. Oh, look, they, they took my point. They agree with me. Um, <laughs> for Canadian housing markets in the current high interest environment, survey data found that among new mortgages last year, 56% had fixed rates compared to 62% in 2021. Despite the surge in popularity of variable rate mortgages during the pandemic, most Canadians are not immediately subject to interest rate variation. Close to 70% of the surveyed reported having fixed rate mortgages. So we remember we went through that period in 2021 where six, I think just over 60% of new originations, new mortgages were variable because the rates were so cheap. And look, it's interesting because we talk about this in another episode, but you know, it sucks for somebody who maybe was looking at a one and a half percent variable versus a two and a half percent fixed rate. And they had to go with the variable and, and it was the wrong decision, obviously, because rates went crazy after that. But the important part is that they probably would have never bought if they had to buy with that two and a half percent rate. People were going to that lower rate because it would stretch their buying power so much. So it was like a, it was a mechanism for people to lever up. And that's what made it even more dangerous from my perspective. But the variable, the variable rate pain has kind of already happened. The fixed rate pain is sort of, the renewal pain is still sort of ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, about 32% of mortgage holders will need to renew their mortgage in the next two years and will have to renew at higher rates. Nobody got a rate cheaper or, or, or more expensive than today in, in past rates. And there are, there are second order effect, uh, problems from this. Like typically people will step up in a mortgage product. Like I actually took a mortgage myself in the middle of COVID and it was like, Oh, I'm with a B lender. I'm sure in two years, like I'll, I'll, we want to pivot over to an A. We'll be in a better equity position. And we were in a better equity position, but we weren't certainly weren't pivoting over to an A. Um, so yeah, that was kind of a challenge there. Um, anyway, talk about their home price expectations on the next page there from, cause this is a cool sur- from a survey perspective to get consumer sentiment. So as prices continue to drop across the country, the share of respondents expecting prices to bottom this year was 53%. And that's four points up 
at year end relative to mid 2022. Now, still, the percentage of people expecting real estate prices to rise in the near term remains considerably lower compared to the 82% record of the previous year. That was the end of 2021. On the flip side, most respondents expecting an extended decline don't foresee any major dramatic drops. Now, among those who expect a correction in house prices, less than 12% anticipate prices falling more than a quarter in 2023. Not surprising, the share of respondents expecting dramatic price decreases in Ontario, which is 5%, and BC, 6%, is almost double those registered in other provinces. Very interesting. What do you think about that, Dan? I think it's interesting. You know, I'm surprised, actually. It's, it's nice to see how good consumers are at reading the market. Uh, it's a good indication of consumer sentiment. I generally agree with the, what they're saying. And last year, more people expected prices to go up than down. And uh, they did go up, I guess, early, but they finished the year down. Uh, this year, more people expect prices to go down. And that part is kind of funny because it's sort of like when you hear Buffett kind of like zig when they zag or, you know, like whatever it is, or be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. So like you kind of got to think about this stuff because sometimes inversing the market does make a little bit of sense, right? The sense of house price appreciation to be holding seems to be holding less influence among the past two-year purchasers. So a lot of people kind of are just detached from it, which is good. That's a healthy market. You, you don't want people who are like speculating. The more you can pull that speculation out of the market, the healthier the market becomes. Only 12% of respondents said that house prices appreciated way more than their expectations since uh, purchase. 14% uh, said that it was somewhat higher than their expectation. Um, 18% said that the price growth was lower than expected after these big declines. Um, And the proportion of purchasers who think prices are about what they expected is is the highest. So, I mean, I guess there's kind of a bias there, but... 36% 36% of people felt that way. So then the next part is going to create a lot of value, I think, for the demand on housing this year, which is valuable, I think, for anyone planning an exit or maybe trying to understand why anyone might be moving and even maybe why tenants are moving. So talk a little bit about taste, uh, you know, buyer taste. So 32% of those who plan to buy in the next five years feel their home isn't suitable for them anymore, whether that's size or current location. Now, this is a surprising increase relative to mid-year 2022 and the end of 2021 and suggests that Canadians continue to want larger homes even as the pandemic era comes to an end. So, I mean, we all remember, you know, the flight to the suburbs, the flight for space. Um, among these f- people who feel their home is no, no longer suitable, most need more space because they spend more time at home. That's 24%. Well, others... say that they need a dedicated working space. I personally know how that is. Many workers are being called back to the office, so the share of those wanting to relocate to reduce their commute is now increasing. That's up 12%. Meanwhile, 15% wish to downsize, which is three points lower than a year ago. Many Canadians want a new home, even if their current property is not unsuitable. Notably, about 22% of respondents are specifically looking to upgrade to a nicer home. Well, isn't that lovely? The share of respondents considering moving to a more affordable home has increased, but remains below 4%. So nothing alarming there. When asked to rate on a sliding scale from 0 to 10, 
how much they view their home as an investment versus a place to live, an average respondent rated their home 80% place to live versus 20% as an investment. That is a comforting stat to see. Yeah, it is for sure. I, I I think it's you know it's good that people shouldn't really shouldn't be you know purchasing their primary residence, their shelter as an from an investment perspective. So it's good. I mean, healthy market again. The next piece is kind of where stuff gets a little bit crazy from my perspective. So mortgage affordability and HELOCs are home ec- home equity line of credit. So fourteen percent of recent first time home buyers are already having difficulty with mortgage payments. That's crazy. This the chart on this page also states that like ninety four percent of people would have a problem paying their mortgage if the rates increased. So one fifth of people would have uh, trouble if the payment went up ten percent. One fifth would have trouble if the payment went up fifteen percent. A third would have trouble if the payment went up fifteen to twenty five percent, and a quarter of people would have trouble if it went up over twenty five percent. Here's my problem: the average. Uh, interest rate of a, a mortgage holding in Canada right now is in like the, the threes, I think. I think I'd mentioned before, right? I think it's like low threes. So, and there, you know, I thought the stat would actually be in the report, but I would look at it. But so everyone is going to see that big of an increase in their mortgage. Like 25, I guess. Well, yeah, no, I think your, if your payment went up from a three, three low threes to 5%. So on average, we will see increases of like 10 to 20% in the average Canadian mortgage. And this is one of those reasons that I say that the pain of this, when we talk about this in episode one, right? The pain of and the unwinding of a housing cycle could take a long time because you still have five years of people who need to get onto this suffering train to join us on this new high rate environment. And that sucks. Like it's, 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 I, I always, I hate being kind of bearish because like it's, you sound like a dick saying this stuff, but like that's the economic reality. There's no interrupting that. All of these people need to renew and they have to do that at higher rates. Yeah. In the next five years. I do not want a ticket on the suffering train. I would much rather be on a different track altogether, but uh, that might be where we're headed. Um, because currently, 62% of respondents uh, say that they need outside help, like family, to make down payments and to say that they would not be able to afford a home without it. This is up five points from the middle of 22 and six points year over year. And on top of this, rising interest rates caused many respondents to reconsider their ability to meet any future increases in mortgage payments. Overall, close to 6% of respondents are already struggling to make their payments, while 20% of respondents would struggle to make their payments if they went up by 10%, and 37 would struggle if their payments went up 20%. First-time home buyers are significantly more likely to be struggling with their mortgage payment. That is really unfortunate to hear. Over 14% of them are currently facing payment difficulties. That hurts to hear, Dan. And that's up 11 points more than non-first-time home buyers, non-recent first-time buyers. And they also go on to say that borrower negotiation has significantly declined uh, compared to 2021. So this is interesting. So 41% of those um, who renewed or negotiated a mortgage had, they just accepted the initial renewal offer from uh, the bank. Don't do that, by the way. Just like literally call them and ask them if they can do it better because the answer is usually yes. Uh, like renewing often makes sense, but you can usually get a better rate. Negotiate. From, from, <laughs> Negotiate a little bit. Like, Try to. Yeah. 
Oh man, like some of the renewal offers I've seen come in from like on the B side are like insane. Like they're like in, you know, so you, you just got to go ask them to sharpen their pencil. Only about one tenth of mortgage holders are currently considering refinancing or refinance in the past year, which is a huge dip from mid 2022. And this kind of goes on to say like the mortgage industry is really suffering. Like there's not a lot of income being earned. The real estate industry, not a lot of income being earned. So the market's really slow. And these are big piece of GDP. Um, Almost 18% of respondents with debt against their home have used equity lines of credit or HELOCs to free up funds up 13% from six months ago, or sorry, up from 13% six months ago, which this, this one's kind of, it's, this is where it starts getting a little alarming for me. Yeah. Let's start talking about the mortgage behavior. So when it comes to choosing a mortgage professional, 29% of respondents would opt for a mortgage broker. Hey. Good choice, guys. This is relatively consistent with previous results. 45% of first-time homebuyers would use a mortgage broker, which is more likely than they were at the same time in 2021. Notably, brokers' share has also increased among those 34 and younger over the course of the last year. And truthfully, I think that's because people are taking longer to get into the market. So maybe you're a bit more financially educated, you understand what a mortgage broker does, and you're willing to use them in your early 30s. Alberta and British Columbia continue having the highest broker customer shares, 38 and 35% respectively. Well, shares have started trending towards, sorry, upwards in both Manitoba and Saskatchewan over the past year. Shout out to all the listeners in the West, just Going hard for the mortgage industry. Love you guys. <laughs> when searching for mortgage respondents consulted an average of just 1.5 mortgage professionals and reported receiving just two quotes. Both are less than the average period. I think that's kind of, that's good. Like you shouldn't be cheating on your mortgage professionals, but like, well, you know, like talk to a couple, but like, don't like, don't be that guy that talks to 50. No. And, know, and, like, and there's also the flogged yeah, for sure. And there's also red flags to, to, to go into several mortgage agents. One, you know, your, your reputation, but two, if you start submitting deals and, and actually get, you know, pre-qualifications or, or pre-approvals that are, that are submitted to any lenders, you can get red flagged if you, if you're going to too many different brokers and submitting. So be honest with your broker. If you're not getting along with them, you know, that's okay. It's a relationship business. So you need to like and your business broker. too. And it's right? business. Like at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like if, yeah, like it's, if you have to make a business decision, you got to learn how to fire people really. Like it's, you know, if exactly. you can't do that. If you want to be a real estate investor and you can't do that, how are you going to tell a tenant if they have to leave sometime? Right. Good point, Dan. Um, on average, broker customers receive a significantly greater number of mortgage quotes than bank customers which increases the home buyer's choice. And that's at a 2.6 versus a 1.7. So I think the, you know, I might be a little biased, but I think the case to use a mortgage broker or to at least engage with a mortgage broker becomes stronger and stronger. And I think like in a competitive rate environment, I think the upside of it does as well. Like in most cases, a, a mortgage broker can beat or can can make their their money worthwhile by just getting you a better rate, right? Like when you're in when you're seeing such big spreads in rates like we are right now. Um, despite falling home prices, so this is credit credit demand summary. Um, despite falling home prices and rising rates, mortgage growth has remained somewhat resilient and is estimated to have increased by seven point one percent last year as a whole prior to the year before. Um, they 
it, the pace is slowing. Um, and historically, mortgage credit growth has been driven by job growth and, and borrowing costs. In 2022, employment growth was still strong. So, you know, that kind of was a, a tailwind, as we could call it, uh, for that, for that space. Um, in addition, five-year conventional mortgage lending rates surged significantly in the second half of 2022 as a result of the, the Bank of Canada interest rates. So that was obviously downward pressure. We don't really need to explain this one to you guys. Um, overall, we expect demand for mortgages to be lower over the ongoing and next year. So just keep that in mind. Like the mortgage industry is not going to be what it was for the last, for the, you know, for the heydays of the pandemic and affordability will likely worsen in the near term. And they actually, they provide some really sweet graphics coast to coast on affordability. So I want to make sure we get to those. Um, but they're saying affordability is going to worsen in the near term as prices kind of have been sticky and mortgage rates are still going to continue to, to creep up and weigh on household borrowing capacity. In the medium term, lower home prices and more robust growth in the housing supply should help to restore affordability in the fullness of time. Now, they do have an interest rate forecast in here, but it kind of got destroyed by Jerome Powell yesterday, who is the chairman of the Fed out of the, the states. This is on Wednesday, March 8th that we are recording this. So as of this recording, the Bank of Canada has actually decided to pause Rate. So let's have a quick moment of silence for that pause uh, and enjoy it while it lasts. Um, increase. It is funny to, to discuss that one before you jump, because I have said like, you know, like February was pretty strong for Toronto. I was actually surprised myself. And I think now that you're going to see this pause, I think it comes back to that financial education. A lot of people are like, oh, like some good Giddy news. Up. And I think you will. Yeah, I think you're going to see like, I'm a little bit worried to see, but I think the market, I think we'll see a pretty strong spring market. Um, I don't think prices are going to go too crazy. I hope people. So anyway, just behave out there, guys. P- pay attention. Listen to the macro because rates aren't aren't are because they're paused does not mean they're going down. Yeah, um, definitely not. I mean, they so. they could likely go go up again. And Dan, didn't we define something like this in another episode? Bull trap. Does that sound familiar? Did we? Yeah, I think we did that recently, didn't we? Go back and listen to the other episodes, folks. Let's talk about increased debt servicing costs. Now, one benefit for Canadian homeowners, at least for now, is that many are tied to fixed rate mortgages that were negotiated fairly recently, so many households will feel a reprieve from early rate hikes. While that's a short-term positive, we expect mortgage rates to remain elevated beyond 2024, which means rates for renewals will be high even for those recent buyers. Variable rate mortgages did surge in popularity during the pandemic, briefly making up a larger share of new mortgages than fixed rates in late 2021 and 2022. And that is historically very abnormal. Canadians love the five-year fix that has been the go-to product throughout our history. However, this reversed as rates rose sharply last year as of October 2022. The variable rate mortgage product accounted for only 29% of new mortgages more in line with the pre-pandemic experience. Now, higher rates will naturally lead to higher debt payments as a share of disposable income, similar to when the Bank of Canada was on that rate hiking cycle before the pandemic. In addition, high loan-to-income, or LTI, mortgages already experienced gradual growth during the pandemic, particularly among first-time homebuyers. High LTI, which are loan-to-income mortgages can make the economy more vulnerable due to income or interest rate shocks. In all, higher rates will undoubtedly affect some, if not most, households. 
but most respondents to the survey indicate that they can afford a modest increase in their mortgage payments. I guess we really have to define what modest means at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a very carefully worded very, last line there. Yeah. It's pretty pretty diplomatic. Walking on eggshells there a little bit. I th- look, I think, you know, it's clear that there's going to be some financial stress here. That's sort of the point of recessions, sort of the point of deleveraging, and sort of the point of credit cycles. I mean, not the point per se, but it's the the consequence. It's it's why these things suck. And so, I, I look, like, I would hope that it doesn't get bad, but I think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be exceptionally pretty for the next 12 months in this country. Um, economically. I mean, we, you know, we already just saw our first quarter of real, actually they talk about the economic outlook here. So I'm just going to, I'm going to jump right into this. So next page is economic outlook model estimates that, uh, or model estimates suggest the Canadian economy has entered the early stages of a recession that is likely to persist through most of 2020. That's a long recession. Shocking. Keep, yeah, keep in mind, but I mean, that's like, but to say most of 2023, like we're in recession for an entire year, that's long. It's drawn mm-hmm. out. Keep in mind that, so remember like staying alive and we should maybe make, we should go do a merch. T- we should do a, a keep, alive till stay, stay, stay alive till 25. <laughs> I honestly think so. I'm going to send one to Sam Zell too. That would um, be cool. It would be. Uh, keep in mind that GDP last quarter was 0% growth at the end of 2022, which means that real GDP was negative after you adjust for inflation. So we could already be in a recession. Um, really, the only outlier here is what's happening with employment numbers, because typically employment shouldn't be this strong in a recession. Uh, so real GDP grew 3.3% in 2022, but is pre- so that's adjusted for inflation. Real means adjusted for inflation. Nominal means not adjusted for inflation, just so you're aware. Was that a um, Nick pre- portion? Should I have done that one? That was a Dan Shinari or whatever we're calling that one. <laughs> um, the uh, It's projected to contract by 1.3% as the economy st- struggles to find growth in 2023. The downturn is expected to be like the average recession since 1970, uh, both in terms of depth and duration. So like a moderate recession. Um, after registering strong growth of close to 26% in 2021, housing starts are estimated to have declined by about 4% in 2022. And we expect a an additional 27% Ooh. decrease in housing starts in 2023. That's actually on par with uh, what Ben Tao was saying, though, about like 30% cancellations or, or uh, postponements, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, Sharply higher rates are conti- are likely to continue to choke out economic growth, especially since the Canadian economy is more sensitive to interest rates due to high household debt. Good one, guys. <laughs> Levering up, finally paying the piper. High household debt remains key downside risk to the outlook. Canada has more fiscal room than its G7 peers. This actually surprised me. And we were talking about potentially, you know, where we're at globally based on our real rate. Um, and we'll maybe present that in another episode. But major stimulus, major government stimulus on the, on the, um, fiscal side is uh so fiscal is the government by the way and monetary policy is the the central bank so the bank of canada that's um and so major stimulus is unlikely unless the recession is severe although i think our current government loves stimulus so don't don't be surprised if they throw some stimmy out there (laughs) um inflationary pressures would ease considerably this year and and tiff just said that they're expecting a three percent inflate i i laughed when i heard this to be honest but three percent inflation rate by the summer of this year uh it's anyway, so let's see. Cross what your fingers there, for that but, one. Uh, but this would lead to a relatively muted contraction in 2023 and support a much faster recovery in 2024. So, all that being said, let's look ahead. Expect the market, expect the housing market correction to continue into 2023, but affordability will support mortgage growth. We do foresee a more prominent 30% peak to trough drop in house prices by year end. That's the end of this year, 2023. 
And we're almost there in most markets, honestly. I mean, it would take a lot for the Canadian market to get for a th- like HPI to get to a 30% peak to trough. Mm-hmm. But, spe- so peak meaning the top of the market to the bottom of the market, by the way. Ex- exactly. Good points. And, and, you know, obviously we've seen those 30% drops in certain markets. And of course that's what gets reported on, but that is not happening everywhere. Be, be very, let's be very clear about that. Uh, in the near term, the decline will be supported by the new national policies targeting affordability, such as prohibiting foreigners from buying Canadian real estate with the foreign home ownership ban. Over the medium term, more robust growth in housing supplies should help restore affordability and support mortgage growth. And with higher rates on the horizon, many households will have to look for more affordable homes, which will help extend the robust recovery of the mortgage market moving forward. So then this is my favorite graphic in the whole thing. And this is, we're going to get to, to go, give our, our, all of our listeners coast to coast a shout out here because it's cool. They, and I, I've, I've talked about this on the mortgage payment as a percentage of income. National Bank covers this as well, but um, affordability by region. So despite the recent fall in home prices in the last 12 months, higher mortgage costs resulted in a broad deterioration of affordability. The, you know, we know that the urban centers in Ontario and BC where average house prices are 23.5 and 23.3 times average disposable income. Think about that. Crazy. 23.5 and 23.3 times the average disposable income. So they remain by far the least affordable. The ratio ratio is much lower in Quebec, as an example, where it's 13.3 times. The Atlantic provinces remain relatively affordable. New Brunswick at eight times, Nova Scotia at 11.6 times, PEI at 10.4 times, and Newfoundland and Labrador at 7.4 five times. Then we have the prairies, Alberta, 10.5, Saskatchewan, 8.5, and Manitoba, 10.5 times the average disposable income to buy a house, the average house in those markets. So those markets are also faring better. So affordability is expected to improve by the end of 2023 as rates begin easing. And you could see some easing on the fixed side, even if the Bank of Canada doesn't cut until next year. Like So again, pay attention. Like the, mar- the market depends on bond bond yields right now. The government of Canada bond yields. GOC is fixed rates. BOC, Bank of Canada, is variable rates. Um, so over the medium term, Vancouver and Toronto will continue to hold the title of Canada's cities with the least affordable housing and despite the housing market correction are not expected to return to affordable levels in the foreseeable future. And I'm going to tell you right now that but what they mean by in the foreseeable future is forever. (laughs) If you want to, if you look at the bubble index, if you look at, you know, global cities, whatever it is, the ultimate fate of a, uh, a world-class city in quotation marks is that they are not affordable places to live. Thank you for a very clear definition of foreseeable future. Another one of those. Well, I mean, a Tiff Tiff wasn't exceptionally good at his foreseeable future thing, and and that one was. So we now know that means two years of of rate hiking and holds. Yeah, but, yeah, a little bit of ambiguity they, and confusion yeah. in in some of those uh, terms. But let's drive it home with the final thing we're going to be talking about today, which is changes in immigration patterns. Yeah, cool. These are cool data points as well. So overall, one of the key drivers of mortgage growth across Canada is migration, both between provinces and from abroad. Looking ahead, strong immigration flows will support positive population growth and create new housing demand. With the easing of the COVID-19 restrictions and the government's effort to promote sustainable population growth, Canada has seen solid international inflows throughout 2022 
Based on the federal government's immigration levels plan and continued demand, the robust immigration trends are expected to persist in the near to medium term. Now, to clarify, that's not the foreseeable future, which we now know means forever. <laughs> we expect this to create a strong, positive support for regional housing demand. Relative to population, Ontario, BC, and the prairies have seen the most significant international immigration flows in the past six years. In 2022, all the provinces benefited from the sharp post-pandemic immigration rebound. While Ontario was a major destination between 2010 and 2019, interprovincial migration has been net negative in both 2021-2022, meaning there is more people leaving Ontario than coming. We expect these outflows to moderate as housing affordability in the provinces improves. Now, given its independent immigration legislation, Quebec is expected to continue receiving relatively few immigrants over the next few years. In comparison, the province is also recording net negative interprovincial migration, which will weigh heavily on housing demands in the coming years. Dan, any closing so, remarks here? Yeah, the only thing I would want to mention on um, on Ontario, where you mentioned it was we're seeing the big bigger outflows than inflows that's just interprovincial so tr- ontario right, is yes. still ontario is still seeing net growth based on international, international migration yeah. yeah um but other other than this i mean I, I think that these are good things like you know we're we're doing another episode the first three steps that you need to take to become a real estate investor and we talk a lot about finding creating a market thesis and understanding a lot of these macro factors, even just Canadian macro factors, national trends of where people are moving, where incomes are good, right? Where the most affordable markets are. You just saw, uh, you know, house prices based on the times uh, average disposable income that they're measured, where, where are house prices most affordable, where are rents most affordable. Start thinking about where you want to allocate your dollars because we're, we're like, we're kind of getting into that phase of the market where, you know, a year ago when we were starting this podcast, we were saying, then over the next two years, one of our one of the reasons we really wanted to be delivering value for people was over the next twenty four months. We said back then there will be once in a lifetime real estate investment opportunities for Canadian real, millennial, especially real estate investors. And I feel like we're getting close to that point in time. And I want people to start becoming prepared, start getting out there looking, start formulating your investment theses. Because you know, as rates, there will be a perfect period of time when rates start to come down and prices have sort of bottomed that you will never get a better time. And I'm not saying try and time the market because that that period of time is likely going to be long. And you're you know trying to save ten or twenty bips on the rate or five or ten grand on the price is not. It's going to be nominal over a long period of time. And, and you likely can get a bet. You could likely can do better for yourself by really working the right deal, finding the right deal. Um, but I want people to have the tools, start thinking about an investment thesis, and really being prepared for the next twelve months. Because I honestly do think that the market is going to, to pre- present some good opportunity for us as as the Canadian real estate investors. Love it. and this community, and so I'm excited. Yeah, you for the first time in a long time. I'm not. I'm not a bull yet. I don't have my bull hat on yet, but not yet. I'm. Uh, we'll get I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a little, a little bit fired up. Love it. Thanks so much for that, Dan, and thank you to everyone who has tuned into this podcast and all the other podcasts that we have put out. We hope you're getting a ton of value. And if you want to get involved in any capacity or work with Dan and I, just reach out. We are here to work with you and to serve your best interests. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. 
The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group, license number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.